0: Welcome back to My Brother's Deeper, a podcast about two brothers. One lives in England, one lives in Chicago, one's a pastor, one's a writer. And it's been about six months since we spoke last because life. Yeah. Uh, One of us has a job saving people's souls. (laughs) Uh, The other is just coasting through life like a bad body surfer
1: you're 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 saving people's minds and stomachs,
0: yeah, but uh I don't know if that's true at all, but thank you. <laughs> so today, uh, we're going to do something a little different because in the past, we just kind of went down memory lane and kind of did a sort of therapy session that involved exercising some things with our mother. But today we're going to get to what we kind of intended to do in the big first place in which is to examine things from our different perspectives, and one of the things that I wanted to talk about in this podcast was like your path in life was which you chose to do in life was to be a man of God, and we both grew up in the church in our different ways, but the one the one person in the Bible that fascinates me is Abraham, who is the father of J- Judaism, Christianity, Islam, mm-hmm. and what. And the the big reason why he's so fascinating to me is because of the story of Isaac, or what happens there with Abraham hearing the Lord. Did he hear, does he hear the Lord's voice in his head, or does he see something? It was a vision. Vision. Yeah. Right. What do you have a vision of?
1: So I'm going to um, – yeah, I'll just kind of turn to in the Old Testament scriptures and the very first book, Genesis, chapter 15, um, which, again, from a Judaic and Christian perspective – is a pretty linchpin of a book in regards to like how you begin to understand your faith. So as a Jew and as a Christian in particular, um, and to some point even as a Muslim as well, because this is where Isaac is kind of lifted up. And so in the Judaic and Christian circles, that's where that branch focuses on because the, the um, Islam branch, if you were to use that terminology, goes through Ishmael.
0: Yes, so the son in the Torah and the Bible is Isaac, and the son in the Quran is Ishmael.
1: Right, right? So, right. so the story goes is that part of Abram – so originally he's known as Abram, all right? And so um, Abram hears from the Lord. He's kind of hanging out in this other area, this land called Ur, and God speaks to him, and he says, listen, I want you to essentially represent my people, and I want to bless you. And so I'm going to give you a land, and um, you're going to go into that land, and you're going to have descendants upon descendants. And so he uses the phraseology, descendants more than um, sand on the seashore, more than stars in the sky kind of a thing. So he takes his wife, Sarah, or Sarai, as she's known at the time. They travel to uh, the promised land, and in that process of kind of getting things going… Abram and Sarah don't have any kids. And so God, Abram's like, what's the deal, God? Like you said, this is going to happen. It's not happening. And I think, um, you know, he's waiting quite a a while. And Sarah starts to get impatient and she goes, listen, why don't you take my handmaid? And in that culture at that time, um, this is how men would propagate their wealth and their influence is by having lots and lots of kids. And it was not uncommon for um, them to have kids with people associated with their household. So she gives him his, she gives him her handmaid named Hagar, and they have a son named Ishmael. So Ishmael is Abram's first child. But the way the Bible tells the story is that um, God clearly spoke to Abram and Sarah and said, "It will be a son from the both of you." So from the Christian perspective, that's actually seen as um, a lack of faith and a lack of patience on Abram's part because Abram questioned it. Yeah, because he kind of took things into his own hands. Mm -hmm. At one point, then God speaks to Sarah and says, hey, you're about to get pregnant. She laughs um, at God, literally. Um, And uh, and that's where the name Isaac kind of comes from. It's from that whole idea of her kind of laughing at God. And so she she does get pregnant. She's like a hundred years old whenever she gets pregnant. And um, now and to be s-
0: f- to be fair, that's like not that old during that time because people were living. How, how old was Abraham when he died?
1: Yeah, I have to look that up. I mean, I think he was probably. Oh uh, man, he's got it, yeah, he's old. Yeah, I, I mean I
0: somebody lived uh, to nine hundred years old, right? Was that Noah?
1: no that was Noah's grandfather Methuselah.
0: He lived to 900 years old.
1: 969. Wow. That's the oldest recorded in the Bible. What happened to us? <laughs> well, I have a theory on that actually. Okay. Yeah, let's hear you want I don't know if you want to get into that or not. Yeah,
0: let's do it.
1: So, so it's funny because I'm actually teaching through this right now in our church. So we're we're going through the first 3 chapters of Genesis. And, uh, you know, that's like creation and all that bit, Adam and Eve. And one of the things I'm really focusing on is this idea that when God creates man and woman, it says that he creates them in his own image. And no other creation has that designation from the sky to the animals to the birds and nothing else has that designation. There's something uniquely special about being created in the image of God. But when you fast forward through that story and you have the whole issue of them eating the fruit in that moment, um, that image has been fractured and that image is distorted. Mm-hmm. And so but this, but Genesis says very clearly that the consequence of that sin is not only was well, there a fracture in the relationship between humans and God, but there's actually a fracture in the relationship between all the creation and God. So the idea that we have natural disasters, the idea that there are diseases that are rampant, there's, there's pandemics uh, that happen, I think actually goes back to Genesis chapter 3, and that is a consequence of what many people would call the fall of man, is that it's not just the fall of man, it's the fall of creation, that all of creation was thrown into a tizzy at that point, and it's been trying to ca- recapture that's really the gist of the story of the Bible is to recapture the garden.
0: So that moment when Adam eats the apple. So Eve takes a bite first and then okay. turns around
1: and hands it to Adam and then Adam eats it. Yeah.
0: Right. So that moment, I think I have a theory on what that moment means. OK, I think that moment is obviously because they become self-aware. They become they become aware that they are naked. Right. Yeah. And um, well, it's
1: it's. So if I think we're so much more because they're eating what's God names it. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So I think I don't know if you've done any
0: research on why we as human beings um, are self-conscious where other animals aren't really mm-hmm. like other animals don't contemplate their death. Right. 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 Like we do. And we're stuck with it. But if you do any like sort of deep dive into consciousness writings on it there are theories that it developed evolutionarily Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. a word that at some point in our in our past you know tens of thousands of years ago we developed it as a a survival skill Mm
1: -hmm.
0: trying to get into like another human brains beings mind and thinking like what would that person do here it's a survival take but now we're stuck with it Mm -hmm. anyway that's another thing that's what i think the the apple is is like we became Mm -hmm. self-conscious it seems to make sense
1: i i definitely think that makes sense i mean i think it is a um it is a self-awareness of of things that in a sense we were never meant to be aware of to that degree because with it you know like in that story there's this there's this snake. It's it's called a serpent in, in the Bible that, you know, most people would say represents Satan, um, whether it was actually Satan or he was working through a serpent. You know, you can debate on that. But the idea is that what he does is he kind of highlights the positives and he's like, oh, you'll become like God. Like you'll know things that God knows while not emphasizing the negatives, which I think is what you're talking about, the negatives of self-awareness include that spectrum of shame and guilt and yeah. you know all those sorts of things that 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 we deal with and go to go to therapy for you know yeah, definitely. so yeah i do think that very much it, so there's that sense of um, of awareness and so it's it's in that moment that not only there's this breakdown in humanity but a breakdown in creation and so i think that's that's part of the reason why um, people started living less and less amount of time is that eventually like our bodies were meant to, lack to live forever and then over time the consequences of sin on our bodies began to wear down why we don't live as long now what's interesting now is you know with science we've kind of we, we've kind of made the 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 curve go back up a little bit and now we're starting to live longer than you know say people 50 years ago
0: that's science.
1: It is, yeah, it is. Um, Which obviously has a <laughs> limit, but you know, maybe not.
0: Um, it's interesting. The the at some point in the future, I would like to talk about the devil because mm-hmm. you mentioned mentioned the serpent, and you growing up, that's just a given that the serpent is the devil. But you just said maybe it's not, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. You know. But anyway, that's another. Yeah. That's another. Thing. Getting, getting back to Abraham, the reason why I wanted to do this is because that moment where he takes Isaac up onto uh, that mountain, which is weird. That the place is called Moria. Did yeah. you make that Mor-
1: connection? Moria. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but the, have you made that connection with Lord of the Rings? <laughs> I mean,
1: I, I have thought about
0: it. I mean, Moria's time. Moria in Lord of the Rings just has an H on the end of it. I know. The Mines I mean, of Moria.
1: I mean, Tolkien obviously, you know, was, was yeah, was I know very much super a Christian, yeah, Judeo-Christian worldview. So. Yeah,
0: but that's like a I don't know if you had made that connection.
1: I thought, yeah, I thought about it. Like, I, I wasn't sure because in the books, you know, obviously Mount Doom is it Mount Doom where Sauron is? Like, yeah. that's obviously the bigger kind of a yeah. deal. Um, but that,
0: but that mountain, I always thought that the Mount the Mount of Moria was a good metaphor because anytime you go into a cave. In psychology, it's like you're going within yourself, you know, to figure out some things. Yeah. So anyway, i always felt because of the Balrogs down there and that's like a huge, like crazy monster inside of us. You know, well, anyway.
1: And it's the it's the transformation of Gandalf.
0: Right. From right? And he, is, Yeah, he goes from gray to white,
1: which is pretty huge.
0: Yeah. Know? Color scheme wise. I mean, I think he looked better in <laughs> gray, but. I agree. So the thing that got me on the Abraham thing was that that moment where he has to put Isaac down on that rock or whatever it is and raise the knife. uh, He's going to kill him. Yeah. He's going to sacrifice his son. Yeah. That to me was very, very hard to reconcile. Sure. To be like, okay, here's a religion that is trying to set a moral pathway. And this is how it starts or it's very in the very beginning of the stories. Yeah. And it was very hard to, as I say, kind of reconcile within myself. And then, so I found this, started reading this book. I don't know if you've ever read uh, Soren Kierkegaard. A little bit. Yep. So he was a philosopher in the early 1800s. He mm-hmm. was um, Dutch and German and he's, he didn't say that he was like he didn't define this term, but people say he's sort of the father he and Nietzsche are the father of existentialism, mm-hmm. which is basically existentialism is the value of your thoughts are should be judged by your the life you live rather than by the intellectual concepts, because ultimately the individual um, is the basis upon which we ju- which we're judged. Right? So like it's like that was what Kierkegaard thought, right? Existentialism has grown into a more sort of godless yes. philosophy. Kierkegaard was wholly he was wholly a Christian. Mm-hmm. But in reading this book, like he has like this utmost respect for Abraham. Mm-hmm. Um and it and it brings you around it brought me around to like having a respect for him because I thought in that moment I was like that's that's bullshit, man. Like, uh, how is that? Like, how did, did when you, when you read that in stages of your life, like, how did you
1: react to that? That's a good question. Um, I I'm trying to think through that that journey, and I, I don't know exactly how it first hit me. I I think my earliest my earliest thought probably was, okay, you know, the way it was presented was this is a test of faith for Abraham. So Abraham does it but because he has faith in God he's thinking there's 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 a back door right there's a way out of this in some sort of a way and then as as I got older and kind of started doing more reading and you know really started studying it extensively in grad school you began to see not only how the story's told, that gives you some clues that, yeah, Abraham, Abraham is acting not only in faith, but I think he's acting in confidence as well. But then you also look at the way the New Testament writers interpret the Old Testament, which I think is absolutely crucial in understanding Christianity, is that when the New Testament looks back on the Old Testament and gives interpretation then that helps us understand not only what it meant but how we see it fit within the large picture of christianity as well so so now i would look at it and go yeah this, this is a man who who no doubt was absolutely heartbroken that he had to go through this but i think he was going through it with a great amount of confidence that one way or the other whether it was god was going to give him an out And he wouldn't have to actually plunge the knife into his son, or, which I think is more likely, he actually believed that God was going to resurrect his son.
0: Yeah, so there's a thing really unique about this. He doesn't really tell anybody. You know? He doesn't really like tell anyone where he's going. He just does it. And then when he comes back, he doesn't really tell anyone. He like keeps it all kind of like very locked up, like this, I mean, he
1: ta- he takes two servants with him, so yeah. obviously there there are two people that do know what's happening. My assumption is his wife knew that something was going on. There's
0: an interesting thing about what Kierkegaard says about what Abraham does. He says, like he so Abraham, sur- he's surrendering his individuality, and he finds meaning his meaning in the cosmos by losing himself in God. Mm. But when you try to explain that to another person, it seems absurd.
1: I, I think it depends on your view of God. So if you if you view God as a non personal, um, maybe ethereal spirit that you know is kind of around and maybe not as um, doesn't care as much about suffering and good and evil, then yeah, I think that's that's one view. But if you view God as a very personal being who has a plan not only for this world but for individuals, and there's actually a plan even in the midst of suffering, um, as hard as that is to accept, then I think you, you see it differently. Seeing
0: it differently, I mean you could view it like you, as you view it as like he thought maybe there was an out, uh, which is seems like a cheat though too, right? Like,
1: well, I think again, like p- part of it for me, Josh, is the, I think it does maybe feel like a cheat, but but I'm also going like what does the text actually say? Like how does the story actually describe in the words that have been passed down and preserved for centuries and centuries and centuries? And like you know, w- what it, what it says here is essentially this is like he, you know, God speaks to him, says take your son to uh, Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. On one of the mountains, which I tell you. So Abraham rises early in the morning, saddles his donkey, takes two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cuts the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Now this is the key. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. So Abraham's telling these guys, now maybe you could argue, well, he's just kind of trying to make them feel better, but Abraham says, listen, we're gonna go and do something. We're gonna but they, have, don't,
0: they don't know what he's doing.
1: They don't know what he's doing. No. But Abraham's saying, we're gonna go over there and we're gonna worship our God. And then both I mean the text clearly says, I and the boy will come again to you. So I I think that's a clear indication that Abraham's walking and going, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but at some point I'm going to come back with my son. God's telling me to do this, and I don't know how he's going to do it, but there's going to be a way out of this. Right. So so I think – and I think that's based in the promise that God makes three chapters earlier in Genesis 12 where he says, I will make a nation out of you. You can't make a nation if you don't have kids and this was the this was the boy of promise it wasn't ishmael it was it was isaac so somehow i think abraham clearly was like something's gonna happen here
0: yeah but okay so like so God's saying okay you're gonna have a bunch of kids it's gonna and then they're gonna have a bunch of kids and all this stuff you're gonna build a nation what's the point of making them go up there and what's the charade it's like a charade like what's the point of that
1: well, I mean that's a great point. I, I, I think it's one of those things that, as as someone who believes in something, whatever it is that you believe in, you, you, there's always those moments of testing where it's like, okay, is what I believe in real? Like, is it is it really more than just me, or is it something like, is there an end game to this? And and throughout the Bible, what you you do see, and I think you see this even in other religions as well when you look at the other writings of rabbis and judaism when you look at the quran is that there are all these moments with the divine i mean you look at this even in greek and roman literature there's all these moments with the divine where there's some sort of testing in regards to the divine going okay are are you really serious about following me do you understand what's at stake here and I, I essentially think that's what God is doing is God's saying, listen, I, 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 want you to, I want you to trust me here because the point of trust is that there's a development of intimacy. So here, here's how I've described it before, and you, you can totally like, relate to this. So in those moments where, like, for example, I've tried to teach my kids to swim. They're standing on the edge of a pool. They're scared to jump in. And and you stand there and you go, okay. I want you to trust me. I want you to trust that you're going to jump into this pool and I'm going to I'm going to catch and I'm not going to let you drown. Right. So you could you could logically step back and go, okay, what's the point of that? Like, why are you forcing them to do that? Yeah, you want to make them swim, but they'll get older one day and they'll figure it out on their own sort of a deal. Well, it's not just about them wanting to swim. And it's not just about taking Abraham up to a mountain Part of what's happening there is I want to develop with my kids that when I, as your father, say you can trust me, that you can trust me. And so when they jump and you embrace them, there's something that's being built there intimately. And I think that happens with God quite a bit as well, where he will ask us to do things that in our mind there's no way out. It doesn't make any sense. What's the point? And he's actually using it as – a way to not only grow you, but to grow your
0: relationship. So the name of that the book is called Fear and Trembling. Mm-hmm. And it comes from uh, Philippians. Is that how you say it? Yeah. It's Philippians 2.12. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what does that mean to you? Well. Because you were just talking about that as far as like you don't know, like because that's the big part of the first part of the book is Kierkegaard working out Abraham's sort of like just despair with this decision yeah. that he's got to do. Yeah. So.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I think it means, um, well, it means a couple of things. I think, you know, the, the idea of fear in the Bible, that is a big theme. throughout
0: Yeah, scripture. definitely.
1: I mean, pro, um, Proverbs starts out with saying the beginning of wisdom is fear. And so the idea of going, okay, well how, what does that mean? How can you become wise through fear? It's not this idea of you know shrinking back and, and biting off your fingernails because you're scared that someone's going to you know, destroy you, but it's this idea of healthy fear, of respecting the authority and the power of God. And so I think when the Apostle Paul, who's writing to the Philippians, that's where that letter comes from, there's a church at Philippi. And he writes this letter, and um, and he says to them, um, you know, to, to work out your work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I think part of what he's saying is just just remember that as you go through life, um, God is powerful, and there are going to be things that He calls you to do, kind of like in the Abraham moment, that may cause you fear, that may cause you to tremble. But there's a mo there, there's an opportunity there to trust so so i would say personally there have been times in my life where i have felt very clearly god asking me to quote unquote step out on a limb maybe it didn't make sense um, to my friends to my family maybe it didn't make sense financially um maybe it didn't make sense for my career but i felt very clearly A peace saying step out in faith and there was fear there was trembling but there was a sense of peace as well so i think what kierkegaard's getting at is how do you live your faith in a way that often has those abraham moments where you're being called to do something or led to do something that doesn't always fit within the norms of society part of this too
0: uh, that Kierkegaard gets into about this his devotion Abraham's devotion uh trumps one of society's most foundational principles a parent's obligation to preserve the life of his own child
1: Hmm. (laughs) What what does he say anything else after that
0: well I think he's like he's he's saying that Abraham was following a a different yeah. a different guideline a different sort of like what he i forget what he called it but it was sort of like a, it was like a principle yeah. that only he and god could see yeah and that's that made me think of like those two servants that are with him i mean this is sort of like isn't this just sort of the early days of like is this even like a concept to There's there's nothing written down at this point right as far Not as like.
1: Y'all oral. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So are, do you believe, do you, what would you think those two servants were they believers or they have their own beliefs? Like, cause this is the, in the time of like, everybody kind of had like a, yeah. you know, like the golden calf people were yeah, yeah, in the midst of idolatry. Totally. Totally. So like yeah, him telling that, like, that's why I go back to the thing of him being it, kind of like there were people that knew where he was and what he was Kind of doing, but didn't really know like what what mm-hmm. was in his head, and if someone spoke to him or something spoke to him.
1: Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, I definitely think that you know there were a lot of different sort of faiths and religions going on around the time, and part of what um, Abraham is so pivotal for is that you know it's through Abraham that this idea of monotheism really takes off. So yeah. that's one of the reasons why you know those three religions that you referenced christianity islam and judaism um, you know they're they're the three largest monotheistic religions in the world and um, in history actually and so i i do think that that there's a good chance that his servants may have believed because just simply at that time one of the things that you would ascribe to a person who was very wealthy and successful is that they were being blessed by gods or deities. And so Abraham at this point was beginning to grow in his influence, in his flock and you know the number of servants that he has. And so if you were a servant within that household, you would think, well, this guy's pretty blessed. And so what he believes obviously seems to be working for him. So I think there's a good chance that they were they were believers, but you know again, scripture doesn't tell us, so I don't know. Um, but I've, I've, I think there's a there's a a better than zero chance that they were, just because it was you know it was their master in a sense, their employer. But he
0: wasn't like a was he a? I go back to the thing of like him sort of not really being. He wasn't a person that came back and started proselytizing. I don't know if I said that right, but um. yeah, you did.
1: You did. No, I mean, what what he did, which I think was was so powerful, was that again, you know, in in Genesis in Genesis twelve. So the, the, that's the beginning of it's the beginning of Abraham's story. Like what happens is is again, like he's kind of hanging out doing his own thing, and um, and living in a different land. And so God says, "Listen, I, I want you to leave your land." So like in a way, he's saying, I want you to take it at that point. That's the first step of faith for Abraham, because he's saying, I want you to leave everything that you know. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your job in a sense. And I want you to move to another place that you've never seen. And I'm going to make you this great nation. And so Abraham leaves. And it says that when he did that, he was 75 years old when he did it. All right. So he was married at the time he took his he took his wife he took his brother's son so his nephew and he took all the possessions that they had and the people that he had acquired and they set out for Canaan so i think at that point like he wasn't necessarily proselytizing but i think that decision had some sort of impact on those around him so yeah he wasn't necessarily like going out and going hey you got to believe in this god but I think by all accounts, it's probably fair to go, okay, when his family started asking, dude, what are you doing? Well, I heard a voice from a god. What are you talking about? This is what he said. So that, in a sense, is his form of proselytization as he's telling his story and why he's doing what he's doing.
0: Like my reaction, and maybe it's the wrong reaction to people, because I know that you have said that you've been spoken to. So, But when people say that to me, I feel like. Uh, that's a, that's absurd. Sure. Um, so like, if you know, Abraham comes and he tells me, so God told me to go do this stuff. Right. Um, I'm going to be like, all right, you do sure. that, but I'm not going to follow him.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. You know, but apparently there were some people who thought differently and were convinced enough that they did follow him and maybe that had something to do with the way he told the story and it seemed absolutely amazing to them perhaps we don't know perhaps god spoke to them as well that's not recorded but it's definitely possible perhaps they did it out of their own self-interest and that hey i've got a pretty good job with this guy i'm gonna gonna move with him regardless of where he goes yeah we don't know but um you know I, i would say the way the Bible describes that, I've never had that type of interaction, right? Like I've never had this direct conversation with God where he's laying out this type of detail. But you
0: um, – you, in one, one point, you or someone or your wife had a dream.
1: I've had a dream, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: About – I think we probably talked about it, but if, yeah. uh, we could go back to it. Uh, but yeah, yeah. you had a dream – is early on in your life, in your adult life.
1: I did. Yeah. When I was in college. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, um, nothing's ever happened like that since then from a dream perspective, but it was, um, it was at a crossroads in my life where I was about to graduate university and, um, I had, was about to graduate with a degree in finance and wanted to go into that field and was starting to set up interviews for that. Candace, my now wife, and I were dating, and I was pretty serious that we were going to wind up getting married. During that time, I got a job offer from this camp that I would worked at in the summers, this Christian camp, and I knew there was no way I wanted to do that. Uh, it was nice to get the offer. That's not what I wanted to do. So I had this dream, and it was – I don't even, one. I don't normally remember dreams, so the fact that I remembered it was odd for me. Two, um, it was incredibly violent, and I never have violent dreams. Um, and it, it it stuck with me to the point where like I was seriously disturbed, and like start questioning like my own mental health and sanity, and going, okay, what is going on here? So like my reaction to that was like, all right. I started to pray. I'm like, God, is there something I'm supposed to know here? What's why is this happening? If it's nothing, just let it disappear. And through that process is where I really began to understand after I started narrowing down what the dream meant and symbolized. It was it was essentially clear to me that I was supposed to take that job at the camp and um that was totally against my will, my desire, my want. It was totally against what was going what was my soon to be fiance's will and desire as well. So yeah, so I, that that's that has been So the one, dream was,
0: what well, you don't know exactly what happened in the dream. You just remember it being violent?
1: No, I do. I I can go into that if you want. I mean Sure. Yeah. <laughs> So it was it was a situation. Listen,
0: before you start this, man, like uh, it's strange to me that you don't really remember your dreams because I have done in my life. I have done I have had I have dreams. I remember them and I in my life I have uh, gone to writing them down. Hmm. And just recently I went through this old uh, notebook I had because sometimes I like to go back to them. And look what I wrote and was like, wow, that's pretty good. You know, like, (laughs) and like, I didn't even know I had that in me. Or like, you get ideas. Like, that's what I was thinking about here. And like, it kind of connects to here. But I had written down a bunch of dreams. And it was like September of 2016. okay, Like, right before the Trump election. And it was just like some bonkers violence. A lot to do with like smoking cigarettes and like jails, like being in a jail, all kinds of weird. Like, I think I was like riding this like uh, white male subconscious at night, like just like tap. I don't know if you believe in that, but like I feel like all of consciousness is sort of connected. Mm-hmm. And like the reason why we have all of these sort of like I think it connects to to mythology and religion. Because I think that if you look at, I've mentioned the, the Hero with a Thousand Faces before, the Joseph Campbell book about how all of these stories are probably are telling all the same stories, just yeah. telling the same thing, it's yeah. the same structure, the same symbols. I think the reason why the symbols, because a lot of this stuff started with dreams, cave, like men in caves having dreams, they draw it on the wall. Mm. You know, I think that we share these symbols in the subconscious that we share. So I think I was, like, writing something there. I don't know if I always, like, because I've never had a dream where I, where I thought it was something that's going to happen.
1: Okay. Yeah. Or like is, predictive.
0: Or trying to tell me to do something. Maybe okay. I have. Maybe I just ignored it. Because I really feel like dreams are a way for the mind to edit itself, to yes. clear itself of things. The process. Yeah. Yeah. So it's strange that you don't remember them. I know that there's a lot of people like that, though.
1: Yeah, it, it, it is funny because even this morning I was talking to uh, Julep, our youngest daughter, and she um, every morning talks about her dreams. Yeah. Every morning she talks about whether they were good dreams or bad dreams. and um, And then inevitably she'll say, well, what did you dream about? And I, I, I have nothing like I don't I don't remember dreams. And if I do remember them early, like in the morning, they quickly, quickly disappear. So I'm sure, though, like I know because of psychology and even biology, like I, I do know that like the brain is still active and you are still working through those things and, and how they connect to your conscious life. I think just applies differently to different people. Um, so for me, though, whatever that is, um it, if it enters into my conscious life that's a pretty big clue that it's something i need to be processing and it's something that um, that i think um, i've got to be aware of because it probably affects you know on a affects things on a much larger scale so that's why this particular one that we're talking about you know um, 25 years ago uh, was so huge because i can still remember it
0: I mean, it basically set you down the path of where your life is now. Yeah. It,
1: it did. Yeah, there there's still forks in the road, but this was a major fork for sure. And the way that I took that particular path on the fork without question was influenced by the dream and the processing of the dream, essentially. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's not so, again. So what happened in the dream? so basically i am um, running away from these dogs so i remember there's this big hill i was on the top of the hill i'm running down the hill and there are these there are these children with me and these dogs are are just super rabid and super aggressive um and they're coming after us to to basically you know rip us apart and at the bottom of the hill is this structure and we're just running to, towards the structure to get into to get into it uh, to be protected from the dogs. So me and these you know these people these kids get into the structure. The dogs come down from the hill and they're like trying to get in. They're trying to attack us or whatever. And um, one by one that they start to break in. And there's there's something nearby that I grab and I i stab and kill each of these dogs and like it's one by one and it's not like just boom that one's dead boom that one's dead it's like kill it slit it like stab it multiple times blood everywhere wow. next and it happens like four or five times yeah so like i wake up and i'm like what the hell was
0: that? yeah
1: <laughs> you know that's crazy because Cause that never, never happens. Yeah, so, cause
0: nobody's a dog murderer around here, are they? <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly.
1: So I remember waking up that morning, super disturbed. I remember being in the shower, going, what, "What? What am I so like angry at, or what am I trying to protect, or what am I trying to run from? Like, what? What is? What am I trying to reject? Like, what is happening? And I just remember, like, it took a couple of days of really trying to, like narrow the questions down and the questions really became like is there something in my life that I that I thought because I remember in the beginning of the dream I should have started this in the beginning of the dream I thought the dogs were nice Mm. and then they turned on you and so it kind of the questions kind of narrowed down to is there is there something in my life that I think is one way but it actually turned it's supposed to turn out a different way like is there something that I think is – it looks a particular way, but it's actually the opposite. And, and at the time, there were two big things going on in my life. It was am I going to marry Candace, and am I going to pursue this path of financial whatever, services, banking, whatever it was going to be? And very quickly, like I was like, well, it's not, it's not the Candace thing, so is it the job thing? And so I really just started delving into that and praying through that and going, okay, am I supposed to go down this path? And then I have this job offer that comes to me, and I'm like, okay, is am I supposed to take this thing? I don't want to do this thing. So one of the parts of the processing too was to kind of like put it out there to see how Candice would react to it because at the time, this camp that was offering the job – Candace was not a fan of it all. I had worked there during the summers. It was very intense. Whenever I was in that camp, I didn't have a lot of conversation with people because the job was, was almost like a 24-7 type of job. And I just thought, man, if I tell her that this is where I think I'm supposed to work, she's, she's going to dump me. Like it's going to be over. Mm-hmm. And so I remember like finally working up the nerve to going, hey, listen, I need to, I need to process something with you. Here's what's going on. Here's what this dream. Here's what I think it means. Cause the only other thing that I think looks one way that might be reversed is this path of job. And I remember telling her, and here's she going, You're supposed to take that job at the camp. And that like that was like that was totally unexpected, totally blown me away. And I interpreted that as another confirmation that I was supposed to go down this path. And take this job that I didn't want to take, that was not – paid you next to nothing. Um, But I felt like spiritually something was going on and that God was trying to speak to me. In a way, it was kind of – it was almost my Abraham moment where God's saying you you need to do this even though it doesn't make sense.
0: You know, when you were narrowing the – like what it was regarding down Mm -hmm. and you thought – you had Candace and then you had the job so that you were dead set. You were like, I'm marrying her. So that's Mm. not it. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Well, that'll make her happy. If she listens to this. All right.
1: I mean, no, I mean, to be honest with you, Josh, like I'm sure that was part of the fear. I'm sure that was, that was there, but I, I really, the way, I mean, this is a whole nother conversation, but like the way that I approached my relationship with her, was very, very open-handed. Like I, I remember very clearly, I broke up with her because I, we were getting so serious and I was like, I, I don't want to keep going down this road if she's not the one I'm supposed to marry. And I remember breaking up with her and going, we we need to like spend some serious time thinking about whether or not we move forward or not. And and I I, I went through my own process. I think she went through hers. And at the end of that process, it became very clear to me that we were supposed to continue to go together. So I had always approached that relationship from the standpoint of if it's not supposed to be the one, then I'm not – I'm going to let it go. And um, and I know people have different like views on whether or not you know there is one person you're supposed to marry and soulmates and all that sort of stuff. All I know is that at the time, it was very clear to me um, because, again, through my – spirituality relationship with how i process things prayer it was very clear to me that um that i was supposed to pursue a relationship with her so the fact that this dream reintroduced that question was not a foreign concept to me i was like okay if that's it if, if i mean it was so disturbing that i was like if i'm not supposed to be with this girl i'm not going to be with her And going through that process, it was like, I I, I don't think that's it. Like, it just – that doesn't seem to be what it's supposed to be. And the only other thing is what I'm supposed to do career-wise.
0: I have never been through that (laughs) process that you're (laughs) talking about. Like, I just dive right in and just like, all right, (laughs) this is is happening. There's no like, hey, let's take some time and think about this. (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, so that's yeah, like interesting I, I, to me. Candace, Candace makes fun of me a lot because of that. Like, I do think I tend to go into lots of decisions that way. Like, I'm a, for one, it's like I, I'm just a slow processor. Like, I just, I have to sit with something and think about it and really kind of stew on it for a long time. She's very different. She's more like you. Like, she kind of knows quickly, jumps into it, and, um, you know, for the most part, it works out.
0: You know, in another sort of way to, Interpret that dream in the Jungian aspect who was also a very like um, I don't know if you could call him Christian, but he, he was very religious minded, Mm -hmm. but his interpretation, the way he interpreted dreams was that everything that shows up in your dream, man, woman, animal is you is a aspect. Of you. So those dogs that are chasing you are an aspect of you. Yeah. So whatever they represent was something that you had to to get sort of like you had to get rid of it. Yeah. Yeah. To see and,
1: like. And I think that I think I think there might be some truth in that, because I do think that there was there was a part of me. I don't know if you felt this growing up, um, but there was a part of me that that. I went into university, I went into just even grades in general, wanting to do well, because I was very well of our kind of lower to middle class upbringing. And I wanted to get a good job. I wanted to be successful. I wanted to um, have a life where my family didn't have to worry about, you know, where the next meal came from. Not that we were at that Stage, but I, I I remember just always being aware of money and the lack thereof, and and just you know kind of looking back now. I think we were pretty close to some some desperate situations, but I do think that in that viewpoint, if you're to take that that the dogs were a part of me that wanted to pursue pursue that type of career and that type of security, and I think. You know, part of interpreting it through Kierkegaard's fear and trembling idea and looking at Abraham is that you know we look to very many places for our security, whether it's relationships, whether it's our job, um, whether it's our friendships. And I think part of what the Christian faith teaches you is that your security should ultimately be in God and what he says about you and declares about you and and so on and so forth. So, I do think there's probably some truth in that and that if that if young were to interpret that, I could see how that the dogs did represent maybe my pursuit of that type of career.
0: Which was what finance?
1: Yeah. Yeah, which, you know, is is can go a number of directions, but you can go into, you know, financial advisor, you can go into investment banking, you can go into, you know, consumer banking, all sorts of stuff that in my mind, people that I knew that had those jobs, um, like didn't have money worries.
0: You know? Right. Yeah. And you're about to get married. You want to provide. Sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So the, that's like one of the major points of like being spoken to. You think by, Mm -hmm. by God, I don't think I've ever had that happen Mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. I certainly in my life have prescribed meaning to things. Sure. Like made connections. Yep. Like, well, that happened. I do it all the time. Speaking of like women, I do it all the time with women where I'm just like, well, she likes that band. I like that band. (laughs) Let's get married. It's meant to be. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's like little things like that, but I've learned over you know and throughout my life and in dealing with that because that's not good. Like that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Um, it can be dangerous. Is is that um, any? And this is person. My personal sort of belief system is like if there's any meaning in life, it comes from you putting meaning into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like and that's sort of what existentialism is. Yeah. Is sort of like you. This world is what you. Make it like if you see these things, then then that it's what you what meaning you put to it. And, and as far as like seeing connections in places like, oh, this stuff is like, well, this happened, this happened because all of this stuff, like it, it has to mean something. It's not a coincidence, mm-hmm. you know, like and Jung has a thing called synchronicity that he wrote about, about like things that we symbols that we have in our head that connect that we may see in our life. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you, you see the number seven over and over again somewhere. And, mm-hmm. you know, what is the meaning of that? You know, it's, the meaning is what you put into it, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, I guess that's sort of, I guess you could say that is like God speaking to you in a way.
1: Yeah. I mean, I definitely think you can, um, you, you can approach it that way. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that is a, that That is definitely an example of of how you begin to interpret those things. I, I think for me, where I tend to want to draw the line, though, is is I tend to want to ask that question of, OK, is there something beyond me, though, that could in some sort of way also be ascribing meaning meaning? And so, you know, I think that's where that dividing line between those who are in a very general way theist and those who would be atheists um is to go well if there is if there is something out there beyond us that does ascribe meaning to things and that in some way is involved in our life then you know there are different questions that need to be asked rather than just what am i what am i assigning to it because i think that's part of what a what a it's part of what a christian faith and i think even you know to be fair that's what a what all religion does is all religion basically wants to go beyond that and go okay is there something though beyond me like okay yeah I'm ascribing the fact that she likes that band and I like that band as having some sort of meaning but is there meaning to it and is there a way to interpret that that seems and seems deeper and connects me to something deeper
0: you know yeah so to get back to Kierkegaard though maybe you know, Kind of getting to the end of this, but anyway, this might be a good, good thing to end it on. But so he said of Abraham that the story of Abraham demonstrates the importance what, of what he called teleological suspension of the ethical. Teleological meaning in regard to the end. If you're hungry and you eat something with the goal of no longer being hungry, then you made a teleological decision. You acted by eating so as to achieve the end of no longer being hungry. Abraham performs a teleological suspension of the ethical when he decides to kill Isaac. Abraham knows that killing Isaac is unethical. However, Abraham decides to suspend the ethical. Mm. In other words, to put the ethical concern on the back burner because he has faith in the righteousness of the end that God will bring about. So that goes back to the very beginning of what you're saying. He thought there was an out.
1: Yep, exactly right. So Kierkegaard says it much more eloquently. Yeah but but i do think what he does is he captures the essence of faith is yeah. that oftentimes walking in faith is a suspension of what is either ethical logical makes sense to to you know most people because you believe there is another end you imagine that there's another end that could be better
0: right so the point of doing this podcast this particular one today was to sort of uh work out this thing that i had of abraham going into the story growing up with it and thinking it sort of appalling right now i don't think that you know like why, i why
1: don't you why don't you think that though
0: because i really bought into the fact that abraham believed that all would be well like he wasn't really going to murder his son
1: Right, he he wasn't doing it just as kind of a brainwashed disciple. No. Yeah.
0: No, I think that he, well, as as Kierkegaard said, that he was just sort of suspending the ethical. Yeah, yeah. It's very noisy over there today. Over here. Yeah.
1: Yeah, part of that is because, um, you know, I'm I'm close to the kitchen. And um, there are kids that are fixing their dinner because tonight is what we call kids' night and adult date night. And so the kids are fixing their dinner because they're going to watch a movie, and then Candace and I are going to have our own dinner together and uh, and kind of do our own thing. So i okay. sorry, sorry about That's that.
0: That's all right. Um, hopefully figuring out the conundrums of Abraham. Um, we'll help them as well. I don't know if they, can I, I think it, well,
1: they are, they are like some of our most loyal listeners. So there
0: are only listeners.
1: <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs>
0: um, so maybe one or two others, but yeah. Yeah. I don't know who they are. But,
1: <laughs> I do um, think though, that I do think that there's something we can continue this conversation on in regards to just kind of that. I love that quote by Kierkegaard there that you read at the end in regards to whether or not there there is a place in our life to do that in other areas like is there a place in our lives where we we could accept that it's okay to suspend the ethical because we believe there's a greater end you know
0: yeah I think as human beings we've been doing that there's like a there's a morality that we all uh, ascribe to, but we're always bending it and yeah. doing things that you know we think are for the greater good, you know. So right. I think that I think that the point of the Abraham story is to highlight that.
1: I do too. I, I think that is without question the way that at least Judaism and Christianity would interpret that story for sure. And that has lasting implications on the way those religions go about teaching their disciples and their followers,
0: yeah, I also think that the the fear part of fear and trembling is something that I was drawn to in the in this in the book of just addressing that, yeah, addressing that a lot of life is based on fear, and a lot of the and a lot of Christianity uses it to yeah. in a way
1: it does and I, I think that like one of the things that might be interesting to explore is like part of my processing of that really has a lot to do with our dad and the type of figure he was to me i don't want to speak for you but the type of figure he was in regards to um evoking a lot of fear in me quite honestly yeah and, and being able to understand the different types of fear and and the ends of which fear leads to
0: that's a actually a really good sort of lead-in to what we could do next mm-hmm. is on our dad mm-hmm. um we could do something on our dad because we've been meaning to do that but like the abraham thing could be a a uh bridge to that
1: yeah i think it definitely could.
0: yeah So I guess we could probably end it here. Okay. I don't know if you have anything else to say.
1: No, no, no. I think um, I think this has been a good conversation because again, the the whole idea, as you said at the beginning, is to just kind of talk about something from different perspectives. And so I think it's good, um, you know, just to kind of get it all out there, not in a sense try to proselytize each other, but to push each other and to go, well, what about this or what about that. So um, you know, hopefully this has been. Helpful not only to you and I, but to anyone else who may listen.
0: Yeah, definitely. So we will leave it there. We thank you for listening to My Brother's Deeper. Um, Thank you. Thank you.